here before all of you. The, the ICPA, as Dr. Ian was just saying, to me, this is like the last great hope of humanity. We're looking, we're looking at a room that if we don't do what we have to do to take care of the kids, nobody else is going to. It's up to us. The, the urgency that I like talking about is the urgency that I practice with every single day. It is up to us. If we don't do it, who else will? So I'm so glad you guys are here. And who put this into me? I know Dr. Ian talked about Jeannie, and Jeannie was certainly an unbelievable inspiration to me, and I miss her terribly. But I had the good fortune, as did Dr. Tony, to have Dr. Mary Webster as my teacher. And this moment here was a life-changing moment for me because he was adjusting my son, Pop, who was a month old there. And as he's talking to, as he's adjusting, he's talking to me and he says this word to me, which we just like lost over at school because this, I read in the 80s, autism. The word autism came out in this conversation. And he said, essentially, Drew, you've got to, to start really focusing more on kids on the spectrum with, with autism because I'm seeing this, I'm seeing more of it in my practice here in Atlanta. You really need to start looking at this. And I was like, autism, autism, autism. And he, just, he got this thing in my head that I haven't been able to get out now for 30-something years. Because this is what's happened since our conversation. Is, is that conversation was a little bit before this chart. So in 1995 or so, to so all the way up to 2020, 800% increase in autism. 800% increase in autism. So what used to be my number one kid in my practice, the number one kid in practice, the reason I saw them was because of ear infections when I graduated 89. Now it's this. This is unbelievable change. <clears throat> one in five children have a mental health disorder in this country. One in five children, one in six, and now we're getting to my little talk here, one in six have a developmental disability. What is going on with our kids? What is going on with kids? I'll tell you what's going on in this Navy kind of record. That's what's going on. This Navy us. And we've got to get out there and serve more kids. Now for the students who are in the room, you've got to get out there and serve more kids. Don't just adjust the grandmas. We've got to get out there and say to the grandmas you're adjusted, I want to see your grandkids. I want to see your grandkids. Which one of your grandkids have one of the four A's? And they'll be like, what's the four A's? And you'll say, autism, ADHD, allergies, asthma. One of the four A's, guess what percentage of children in this country that is? That's one-third. One-third. We got work to do, guys. But now, let's talk about this. Those milestones, right? If you miss a milestone, there's something wrong with the child's brain. Missing a milestone, skipping a milestone, sliding a milestone means there's something going on with that child's brain. And so many people out there say, oh, don't worry about this, don't worry about that, and then, we have to understand what milestones really are. We can explain in simple terms to our patients. So this is my brainchild about what milestones are. Milestones are like apps that need to be updated. But what happens is every time you update the app, it changes, right? So first you have the heads up baby app, and then you have the rolling baby app, and then you have the crawling baby app, and then you have the walking and talking baby app, right? And that's what happens. But you've got to get that update, right? So here's an update, and if you're a neurotypical kid, when you get the little message, ding, you got to update because you can't use that app until it's updated, just go into the app store and press update and it updates. But what happens if you don't get that message, or if you get this message, you get an error, unable to install the update. This is what's happening to our kids. 
This is what's happening to our kids. They can't install the updates. We've got to take control. We've got to get into our communities and teach our parents that there's chiropractic that can reconnect the disconnected kids. And then in February of this year, this comes out. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first heard about this, I was I got the paper. And it wasn't online, the whole thing wasn't online, so I had to ask our librarian, like, the can you get this whole time newspaper? So I got the whole time, and I was reading it, and I was like, okay, walking has changed, okay, talking has changed, and I'm like, where's Colin? Where's Colin? Where's Colin? Where's Colin? Where's Colin? 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 Right? So, they call milestones milestones for a reason. They're not my suggestions. Right? <laughs> They're milestones. So I'm a little confused as to how you can change something that's a milestone. So now, instead of 12 months to start talking, now it's 15 months. Now, instead of 12 months for uh, walking, now it's 18 months. How is that okay? And you speak that I have a lot of patients and colleagues who are OTs and PTs and like, this is, we're not following these recommendations. Because these don't make any sense. This is not what we're seeing in clinical practice. It's not what I'm seeing, and it's not what they're seeing either. And crawling has been totally eliminated as a milestone. And you don't want to know why. Like I, I, I said, I was searching, what, what would make them do this? Right? I was searching. And this is why. The removal of crawling milestone was not due to its unimportance, but rather because the scientific literature is inconsistent in how it defines crawling and at what age should be achieved. So what that means is, like, because we really can't figure it out, we just shouldn't have it as a milestone. Let's just brush it aside, right? Because, because it's too confusing. It's too confusing. So instead of saying, well, milestone is a range, or milestone should be like this, or should be like this, they completely eliminated it altogether. And what they did during, in this whole 70 page document was they changed 67% of the milestones to older ages. You know what that looks like to me? That looks like delaying early intervention. Even though they're claiming that they're trying to have more intervention earlier, I am a little confused as to how that works. Because if a child isn't talking until 15 months or one is 18 months, isn't that longer? So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just confused at the time tables here. And what I think this is, is I call this normalizing pathology. We're making what looks, what's everyone's happening to everybody, we're making that okay because there are too many people out there who are making too much of a fuss. So let's just normalize it. So I read this paper about milestones, and it talks about the timing intensive early intervention, how important it is. And one of the things they say is a one-hour increase in intervention actually creates a three-point increase in the, in the results of the child. So I'll give them one more hour. I'll give the kid eight adjustments in a month and give them some daily functional exercises to do it. Why not? There's an extra hour. So you get all kinds of points of intervention because of what we do in our practices. So one of the things, just as I have to mention this, because I mentioned this in all my talks, we've got to put our kids down on the floor when we look at them. We've got to keep up, put our kids down on the floor. Don't just hold them in your laps or have the parent hold them in their laps. Because if you go in and they're on the lap and you play with them, adjust them, have them go on their mom's belly, sit on the business, say hi, 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 that's, that's all, you miss how they're interacting on the floor. Because the floor, the floor is, should be the workplace of the child. Face down should be the workplace of the child once they're past six weeks old. 
So I urge you to make sure, if you're not doing this already, to make sure you get the kids on the floor. And especially your first exam, see what they're doing. So all they holding their head up. We just had a kid a couple days ago. New patient, little munchkin, had a rough kind of a birth. Three months old, put them on the floor. We put like, you know, some uh, nice uh, tiles on the floor. And he couldn't hold his head up. He's three months old. And she's like, is that a problem? The doctor says it's not a problem. I but you know what that is? That child is self-centered, right? Up the cervicals, right? For perception, oxygen, atlas, start adjusting in a couple of days, put him face down on our chiropractic bench, and he's already doing like I said, after a few adjustments, right? This is how we have our hands, in our hands. And we have to, so we put them on the floor. Are they rolling normally, right? When a child rolls, they're supposed to turn their head and move their arms, move their leg all in the same direction. Or are they rolling? in opposite directions, paradoxically. Does the head go one way and the arm go like this? You can't roll like this. I'm always testing kids. I always say to parents, hey, are they rolling? No, they are not have so much trouble rolling. So I say, okay, let's put them on their side. Let's find out what it looks like for them to roll. And you put them on their side, you know, on the floor, on the front of the bench, you know, protecting them, of course. And they go like this, and you'll see them do this. And you just have to say, hey, you have to train them at home. Let's do an exercise. Get their head like this. Get them like this, and don't you're going to go like this. Move your head, because that's going to teach them how to roll. Whatever they can't do, we're going to teach them how to do. And why is it so important? And this is the thing I think that so many people are not connected with, is that problems as a baby that are not resolved turn into problems in school and beyond. So if you don't fix something, when it's a problem over here with the milestones, those problems can turn into all kinds of different things later on. For instance, I don't know how many of you guys have read this paper. If you've heard me talk, you've heard uh, my 12-hour talk, you know that I talk about this a lot. Movement analysis can be useful in early diagnosis of autism. I know this is a 1998 paper. It's an old paper. But this is the seminal paper. This is where it all began. When they started looking and saying, wow, movement may have something to do with, uh, with autism. And so from the title labs. And then how about Tyre Dr. Genie turned me on to this book, uh, Manufacturing Children. Says he talks about kiss syndrome, the torticollis kind of things. He said kiss syndrome turns into what he calls kid syndrome, starting around two, three years old. <clears throat> and kid is kiss induced diagnostic and dyspraxia, which is perceptual issues and movement issues. So if you have this kind of issue when you're a baby, right, then that's going to, I, I don't care if the baby can somehow miraculously fix itself after a year because the muscles get, get, get stronger. That's not what it's about. It's how does the brain develop with its head like this? And that's going to create another kind of problem later on. And that's what we talked about in my ASCK seminar. That's what we're still talking about. We have a brand new seminar coming out. I don't know if you guys heard about this yet, but myself and Dr. Andrew, Dr. Lou, we have uh, so like a part one, part two tongue tied seminars. So we have it coming up, so just let you know. You should check that out. I also talk about this when I talk to Dr. Stephen Porges. He uh, is an amazing mentor of mine. And Talks about the polyvagal theory, so I always like sharing with this. Of course, I have my, my, my podcast. I'm constantly talking about these things on my podcast. We talk talking about this all the time because we have to know if one thing doesn't work when they're early on, something else is going to go wrong. So here's an example: the lazy muscles, they cause issues now, but always bring two things together. I don't, if you guys have heard of this thing called massive sociogenic illness. So now there are kids who are watching TikTok and watching YouTube videos and starting to imitate some of the things going on on these videos. For example, I'll go back to that one. 
For example, you have this young lady here in England who's had millions and millions of followers on TikTok and on uh, Facebook and stuff, and what she does, she has Tourette's. But what's been happening is the kids who are watching her videos are now starting to imitate her. So they're calling this a mass sociogenic illness out of the journal Brain. This is something big. I had my first mass sociogenic illness patient a few weeks ago. So this is, this is real. And it's not just happening in Europe. A lot of this stuff is happening talk about in Europe. It's happening right here in this country where our kids are so hooked on their cell phones and so hooked on social media and TikTok and these other things that this is what's happening. They're creating a mass sociogenic illness by imitating these other kids. So what happens? When kids can't get their latest brain updated, it's called diastasis. It's called diastasis. What that means is, if, if you remember how the brain forms, where the brain starts from below up, and then it goes like this, but then when it starts growing into the prefrontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex starts going down and does top-down regulation. But what happens if there's a problem somewhere in the lower part of the brain, like the brainstem where the primitive reflexes are, what happens if there's a problem there? And now upstream, there's other problems because of it. It's like you put a dam over here, and now upstream, there's going to be less water, there's going to be less information. So that's what's happening to the kids that we're seeing, is we're seeing these developmental diastasis because of this upstream effect. And what we, have, what we do as chiropractors is we are able, because of our amazing adjustments and the amazing functional neurological exercises we can give them, we are able to change their brains. Neuroplasticity, right? That's the name of my talk, Enhancing Pediatric Neuroplasticity. Because I have seen it over and over and over again. I'm going to tell you a story with this one little luncheon, right? She comes in on Monday. And I've seen her for about four months. She's five years old. She's not walking. I've adjusted for about four months. Doing very gentle tonal work with her. She's very, very afraid. She was poked and prodded and stuff. Dad comes in on Monday and says, watch this stuff. And picks her up, her up off his lap, stands her up like this and starts walking towards me with her. First steps I've ever seen her take. And he says, Dr. Rubin, you know what she said this weekend? She said, Daddy, I want to walk. Now here's a young girl who's been going to therapy for years. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's important she needed to muscle, build, and all that kind of stuff. But there's something about the chiropractic adjustment that changes that diastasis that nobody and nothing else but you and I can do. And isn't that amazing? The gift that we have, the gift that we've been given through Dr. Larry Webster and through Jeannie and through the ICPA and through all these unbelievable... I mean, think about how many people this room is touching every single week. Think about that. But we have to... We need more. We, because the, the numbers that I showed before is going up and up and up and up. We have to reach more. And that is the urgency with which I speak. That is the urgency with which I come to you guys. That is the, the gratitude to see this many of you 
here on a Friday afternoon with whatever it took to get you here last night and this morning, whatever, to get you into this room. Because we've got to serve the kids. We've got to serve the pregnant mamas. It is up to us to do this sort of stuff. Brain-based hybrid changes kids' trajectories from disconnected to reconnected. That is what we do. That is who we are. We can change kids' brains. We can take this functional neuroplasticity that exists in this little girl who's unable to walk and watch her walk. And it wasn't quick, it's not an instant thing, that's not what it's about. It's about slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady wins the race. It's about setting up an office of safety, Dr. Porter told me, setting up an office of safety, of trust, and when you set up this place of safety and trust, now they can open up and you can watch them become the little kids that they can become. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it.